Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 152 of The Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of The Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the OPPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, donate $5 a month and receive early access to the podcast. For $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And if you want to find us on Facebook, just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you're in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now we're going to talk meteor showers. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast, and we're going to talk about meteors, and that means we're talking to Bob Lunsford, the coordinator of the ALPO meteor section. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a long, hot summer, and now we're ready for some cool weather observing. I like and, that. Yeah. yeah, you can get nice and comfortable outside and even throw a nice thick blanket over you and be nice and cozy watching all the shooting stars that's my favorite part of watching meteors <laughs> you bet get get comfortable so we got i guess we got a couple we're talking about today yeah we uh have the orionids okay which are active between september 26th and the 22nd of november so that's a long wow. stretch and the reason for that is these guys are associated with uh, Halley's com Comet. Ah. And they are the inbound portion of Halley's Comet. So uh, much like the comet back in 1985, it first appeared in the constellation of Orion. Well, guess what? Real close to the Orionid radiant. Uh -huh. so, so it's, Therefore, uh, it's, it's called the Orionids. Very true. Very oh, true. See how I put that together? You're, you're awesome. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Orionids, rather than having a very sharp peak like the, uh, the Perseids, uh, they have uh, kind of a plateau peak where they're going to be good for almost a solid week centered on the uh, 21st of uh, October, which is a Friday. Okay. 
Uh, the last quarter moon is on the 17th, so that's pretty good timing. Oh, excellent. So, so with each night, uh, the moon is going to be less and less of an obstacle. And on the, on the 21st, it'll, it'll be just, well, shoot, probably 10 to 20% illuminated. It won't even rise until probably five in the morning. So, uh, not an obstacle at all. Oh, that's fantastic. So, uh, this time of year, the Orionids rise about 10 o'clock uh, in the evening. That goes for almost all locations, unless you're, uh, you know, even daylight savings time or not, uh, it's, you know, pretty, pretty darn close to 10. So, mm -hmm. uh, but you know what? I wouldn't bother observing at that time because they're not really strong enough to produce a lot of earth grazers. So, sure, you can go out and, and try, but uh, the odds of seeing any Orionis at that time of the night are pretty slim. Mm. So uh, I would suggest waiting to the wee morning hours when the constellation of Orion has uh, risen higher in the sky, and that will give you a much better uh, chance to see them. Okay. Now the now the radiant, the exact point where these seem to appear from, lies in the club of Orion, which is about oh ten degrees north of the bright uh, orange star Betelgeuse. <laughs> so. It does move one degree toward the east every day, but if you look in that same vicinity, uh, you, you you probably couldn't tell the difference during, during that whole week. And to be honest, I wouldn't look right at the radiant because you may miss some that show up on the edge of your field. So uh, I, I would uh, I've kind of put the radiant toward the edge so you can still tell that there are rhinos. But also get uh, get a good view of uh, other uh, showers that are active at time, such as the uh, Tarids. And there's other showers to the east, all one known as the uh, Epsilon Geminids, and another one in Leo Minor, which actually produces a lot of bright meteors. Wow. So this is a great time of year to be observing. So what are some of the characteristics of the Orionids meteor shower? You know, we encounter them at almost a head-on uh, position, so they are among the fastest oh. uh, meteors we see, so uh, they sh certainly won't last very long, and a good good portion of them uh, produce persistent trains, which are, which are streaks, uh, smoky-like streaks after the actual meteors disappeared. Oh, very cool. So uh, one thing going against the Orion is they, they don't seem to be very large meteors, so there don't seem to be a lot of fireballs. And this is one shower that really, really helps to have the darkest sight possible. Okay, so they're not really bright, but they're they're, 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 they're plentiful. Really, well, they're uh, they're a mid-strength uh, stream, I would say. Okay. Uh, if you observe from home, let's say in the sub suburban area, on the night of maximum, you probably see fifteen to twenty Orionids per hour. Okay. Uh, during the last few hours before dawn. If you were to head to the hills where you could really see lots of stars in that glorious winter Milky Way. Uh, you probably increase it to 20 to 30 an hour. Wow. Because uh, you'll see a lot of fourth and fifth magnitude Orionids. Mm -hmm. And besides, uh, the, the dimmer, the, the, 
the, I should say the, the, the fainter, the, the meteors, the being out there in those worlds will, will show up better. And besides, there's a lot more fourth and fifth magnitude meteors than there are bright ones. So <laughs> if you're one to get as many wishes in as possible, that's, that's the way to go. Well, the nice uh, thing is too, this happens on a, is that a Friday night? Actually, Saturday it's a, actually, it's a Thursday night. Ah, uh, okay. But that weekend of the 22nd, 23rd will still be prime time okay. uh, to, to observe the Orion. It's great time to get out of town and set up a lounge chair and watch some meteors. You betcha. Now, a lot of people lay straight back and look straight up. That's actually not the best place to look. And the reason for that is you're looking through the thinnest slice of atmosphere, which is great for planetary guys uh, looking through their <laughs> telescopes. But what you want to do is look through as much atmosphere as possible because uh, you're bound to see uh, more meteors. Uh, I've noticed this when taking photographs that if you put the horizon right on the bottom of your frame, you will get a lot of, lot of uh, pictures of meteors within that. So I tell everybody to look approximately halfway up in the sky. Don't, don't look straight up. Okay, and it and it kind of happens to be that the uh, if you do that, the Orion rating will be kind of in the top of your vision, and it'll be a shooting down toward the southern horizon. And uh, with all those beautiful stars this time of year, that makes a makes a nice scene. Yeah, Orion's, a, Orion's a beautiful constellation, just a photograph, and if you can have some meteors in in the frame as well, that that's uh, really nice. Most definitely. And, and this time of year, you're going to have the brilliant Mars up in the uh, between the horns of Taurus. So uh, ah. that, that even adds to the, to the that's, scene. That's true. Very cool. Now, if, if you want to get serious and, uh, and, and count these meteors, uh, we suggest that you watch for at least an hour mm -hmm. because no matter the, the meteor shower, they appear in clumps. They're, they're not if they say you're going to see 16 hour, believe me, they're not going to show up one every minute. You're going to <laughs> you're going to have one a five minute period where you won't see a thing, and then you might have another five minute period where you see ten. So uh, notoriously clumpy, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> it drives you crazy. But that that's why a minimum an hour at a time. A minimum of an hour at a time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to see the best of them, I would go out two, three hours before dawn, and the, the, the constellation will be high in the southern sky, mm -hmm. and uh, you'll, 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 you'll see the best of the Orionids during that time. And the moon will be favorably placed, too. So a slim nice. crescent way over in the east, so not Very a problem, nice. not a problem nice. at all. Great. So uh, we're looking forward to getting some observations on these. Very right. uh, much as some other meteor showers as well. Right, right. Um, the main one during the Orionids is the Taurids. And the Taurids are from Comet Enki, which okay. has the shortest period known of, of any major comet, I should say. It uh, revolves around the sun in only 3.3 years. So uh, it comes and goes quite frequently. Mm -hmm. Now, Comet Enki, Enki has, a, has a very interesting past. Uh, they think it was a part of a, of a larger, much larger comet that disintegrated between 20 and 30,000 years ago mm. and that comet Enki and the Tards are part of it and they believe there's a lot of, of material in there and unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately it also encounters the, the planet Jupiter 
which throws all kinds of chaos into the mix. <laughs> because when you when the particles approach Jupiter, they either get pushed to, to one side or pulled in, and whatever the case may be, that may may send it further from Earth or closer to Earth. Hmm. Now, normally for the Tarids, um, which are best seen in early November, uh, just after Halloween, well, you may see... Uh, five to 10 meteors per hour. Now, that's kind of ho-hum, but the tards are known to produce fireballs. The uh, The particles are larger than normal, especially when compared to uh, the particles from Halley that are seen during the Orionids. So... Why is that? Well, they, because Halley comes around every 76 years. Right. Inky comes around every three. You would think more material... Well, yeah, maybe more of a turtle does come off Inky, but Inky is a small comet. Inky is a small comet. Like I said, it's probably just part of the overall association with the, with the tarred meteors. Okay. In, fa- in fact, they they think there may be embedded in the Inky slash tarred swarm uh, small asteroids that are visible uh, visible through telescopes. Uh, we're talking, you know, we're getting down to 19th, 20th magnitude, right? But they've had a search out for these. Um, and uh, I know 2019, uh, the search was unsuccessful due to a number of factors that I won't go into. <laughs> it was it was not observational factors, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that there. All right, but uh, <laughs> but um. Like I said, there are asteroid-sized particles in there that that they believe may be visible. Uh, so, but you know what? It doesn't take an asteroid to produce a fireball. No, uh, it's been calculated that that something as small as a softball can produce a flash as, as bright as the full moon. Wow! And uh, yeah, but most meteors are like the size of a grain of sand, right? That's very true. That's that's very true. But. Um, I was, I was just reading recently that uh, it it takes uh, for a negative three uh, fireball, it only takes something uh, as heavy as 15 grams to produce that. Wow. Well, 15 grams, that, that equals uh, a half ounce. So mm-hmm. you can you can imagine how actually a fuzz, uh, a, a, a dirty snowball is a good, <laughs> good description of that because it certainly isn't dense. <laughs> well, so I think, th- I, and a lot of the objects we're seeing in space aren't dense, like like what that what Dart just did Very to an true. asteroid. Very you know, true. It, it it developed a cloud millions of miles in time, and it's still there, and it's still it, there. That's it, amazing. No one thought that, that. I mean, it's just like is, it's. That is totally amazing. Now, I just, it's really interesting to see if it actually changed its course. Right. Uh, but anyway, you're going to be out during the uh, Rhine, and you're going to see some medi- slow meteors. Uh, they're, they're a lot slower than the Rhine is because they intercept the Earth, not at a head-on position, but from a sideways. So they're kind of entering perpendicular to the Earth's orbit. So they're medium speed meteors, even kind of slow meteors. They tend to last uh, a few seconds, but uh, the fireballs are well known to produce uh, fragments that uh, you can actually see it fall apart as it falls through the atmosphere, which is very cool. Now, when does the tar hit its maximum? Now, 
there are actually two Tarid uh, showers. Oh. Uh, the the more the the I should say the more active one is called the Southern Towers, because they have a deck they have a position that's slightly south of the the Northern Towers. So it's actually split in two, and the reason it's split in two is they think that the Earth is actually plowed through. Uh, you know, the, the center of the tarred uh, radiant and kind of cleared out <laughs> any debris that that's that lies that lies in the in that area. So, what's left now is the, the northern branch and the southern branch. Now, the northern branch peaks, uh, I was it's uh, November 12th, and like the Orionids, they have a, a long plateau like. So the difference between the 11th and 12th and 13th is not going to be very, very different. Okay. The um, northern tards uh, don't even start until mid-October, and they last all the way to the 1st of December. The uh, southern tards are actually active uh, late September, and they peak on November 5th. Now, another reason to concentrate on the tarred meteors Every three or seven years, I'm not saying and seven, it's either three or seven years, the Earth passes close to a clump of large, larger than normal tarred meteors. And there seems to be what they call a fireball swarm that occurs during these years. Now, the last time this happened was 2015, mm. and they got a ton of fireball uh on video because you know video was just getting hot back then and they they between now and now and back then they've calculated that these occur due to jupiter you know, you know moving the orbits of these of these objects they will either occur on th three or seven year increments well, the, so the next seven years <laughs> this is 2022 is seven yeah. years oh my and we're we're passing fairly close to the core of these so not only will the targets probably produce double their five to ten per hour but a lot of those meteors may be fireballs oh this one's that's exciting so you should have led with this one <laughs> well <laughs> anyway uh the new moon will occur on october 25th so between the new moon mm. and when the moon starts getting full, which will be uh, November 8th, will be prime time to uh, observe the Tarids. So that's why you didn't lead with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I, I can't tell you how many fireball reports I receive on Halloween that are due to the Tarids uh. because the kids are out just as it gets dark and all these folks say, gee, my kid was at the front door and I look, you know, look over this house and there's this big orange fireball shooting down. Oh, well, cool. guess what? That's part of the Tarid meteor shower. That's funny. On, on, on that evening, on October 31st, uh, I work for NASA and we're actually launching our next satellite on that night at one o'clock in the morning on November 1st. So that's not a fireball. If you see it in the sky, that's a rocket coming from Vandenberg air force base. Okay. Well, well, believe me, we get a lot of rocket reports. I bet, too. I bet you do too. Yeah. Good old SpaceX. Right. Right. So. Wow. That, that whole week from the 25th 
uh, actually, it's almost closer to two weeks. I would actually say centered on Halloween will be a perfect time to, to observe these meteors. Now, the the tarids rise; they're they're almost in opposition uh, to the to the sun, so they're in the sky all night long. And at one o'clock, as you said, they're going to be almost overhead. Oh well, I'll be up. Trust me, so, I'll be out so, there. So, so there will be uh, a good opportunity for those in the northern hemisphere. As long as to, I don't hit my uh, rocket as it goes up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's hope not. You know, at a rate, even at twenty an hour, yeah. that's that's a lot of activity when when there's when there's nothing going on. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't hold my breath, okay, but uh, it. Uh, it certainly is uh, something to look forward to, and this must be something good for uh, astrophotographers to uh, to try to get. Uh, once again, I would aim in your camera no more than halfway up, and and you just get your darkest direction. And uh, if you're lucky, one of those tarred fireballs will uh, will shoot through your your field of view. Fantastic. Um, there is also in 2025 uh, another repeat uh we're not passing so close to the center of these uh th this debris so 2025 is another possibility the one we should really circle is in 2032 which is seven years beyond 2025 that year we are projected to fly smack dab through the center of it oh my and uh, it could be quite a show. Okay, I'll put that on my calendar so we can do a podcast before it. <laughs> <laughs> let's just uh, let's just hope we're still around there. Uh, so. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Need to get a lot of sleep and <laughs> uh, and and eat better than we do now. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. So, so we we have these meteor showers and. You mentioned, um, you know, watching for an hour at a time and things like that. So, so let's say someone goes out there for the first time and they're watching. What kind of report do you want from them? Well, the, the minimum we would ask for is try to differentiate between, let's say, either Orionids or Taras or, or just plain old random meteors. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you could just... Uh, do that and if you have a voice recorder that sure helps because mm -hmm. it lets you keep your uh, your eye on the sky without having to write down anything so uh take some kind of timepiece out there just, you know even even the little cell phone will do yeah. as long as it doesn't, yeah. doesn't blind you <laughs> and uh watch for an hour and uh well, tell us the, the, the orionids uh, they, they come from their their central point is Betelgeuse, you mentioned, right? Yeah, well, ten to ten degrees north in the in the club of Orion. Okay, all right, all right. So if you can draw back where you've seen the meteors come from, that that's an easier way to distinguish between the Orionids and Taurids. That is one way. Um, another way is is you know as you as you see meteors and and get to get a feeling where they're coming from, it's very easy to tell the difference between Taurids and, and, and Orionids. Uh, Orionids are going to be really fast, yeah. only last a uh, fraction of a second, whereas the Taurids will be coming from an area to the west of Orion. You know, they'll, they'll still be visible in all areas of the sky, mm -hmm. but uh, they'll be a lot slower and usually a lot brighter. Uh, one important thing is I should mention that the Taurids 
in October aren't actually <laughs> coming from Iridian and Taurus. They're actually located in Aries at that time. Oh, okay. And it won't be until November that they actually uh, pass into the border of Taurus and will be located south of the Pleiades. Okay. So uh, I don't know if any if everybody's familiar with the constellation of Cetus, but uh, a a good part of that a constellation uh, is uh, right next to Aries, and that area right above I call it the tail of the whale because it 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 uh, you know is depicted as as a big whale with his body down lower in the south with his tail sticking up, mm. and the radiant is just just north of, of the tail and uh between that and the the brighter stars of aries so so and as i said that part of the sky is in the in the uh, sky all night long this time of year okay. so you you can you can have successful observation of the tards uh, during the late evening hours but they are highest in the sky at 1 a.m when they lie on the meridian Okay. So, uh, if it's clear skies during the Halloween time, uh, by all means, try to observe those. That sounds like a plan. And is there another one this time of year that you want to talk about? Or, well, there are other minor showers okay. uh, during the Orionids. There are there are bright uh, meteors from the constellation of Leo Minor, which lies about ten degrees north of the sickle of Leo. If if, if people are aware of that, that looks like a backwards question mark. <laughs> um, the Leo Leo Minorids only produce maybe four or five an hour during the last couple hours before dawn. Very fast meteors like the Orionids, but they come from a point uh, way to the northeast compared to Orion. So if you're looking toward the south and you see a bunch of bright meteors come from over your left shoulder, those will most likely be the uh, Leo Minorids. And one other uh, shower that probably deserves mention is uh, one called the Epsilon Geminids. Uh, you know what? Uh, there are there are programs that let you run cameras through a computer that will decipher which showers are which. Well, this shower is so close to the Orion is it has a heck of a time uh. Uh, deciphering between either is it an Epsilon Geminid or is it a uh, an Orionid because the speeds are similar uh. and the radiants are only like 15, 20 degrees apart. Oh my goodness. So actually the eye is a better better instrument for separating these two. Epsilon Geminids are much much uh, weaker than the Orionids, maybe only two to three per hour. But uh, if you if you see something that looked like it came from a source, of, you know, 15, 10 to 15 degrees northeast of the, the Orionid Radiant, which is in the Club of Orion, chances are that may be an Epsilon Geminid. Fantastic. Wow. Very interesting. So now, this is this is a great time to uh, observe meteors. So, uh, you know, it won't be as frigid as it will be in December. <laughs> so I would certainly take advantage of it. It sounds like a plan. Now, you, you're the coordinator of the ALPL meteor section. You're also involved with another meteor organization as well. Right. Uh, the American Meteor Society, which has been around for more than 100 years. And I'm also the secretary general for the uh, International Meteor Organization. And nice titles, but what it really means is I'm, uh, I 
do my best to try to publicize these events, uh, no matter what uh, what what I did on the web or through podcasts. Yeah. So uh, I just want the the public to uh, get out and enjoy enjoy them like I do, because because you know if it could be Fourth of July every night, I'd be really happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is as close as it can get. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Now, can you just talk a few minutes about the American Media Society? Sure, uh, they were started by Charles Olivier back in 1911. And they, uh, people back then really didn't have uh, much, you know, much uh, how to to share their observations. Mm -hmm. So he set up the American Media Society so they could mail their observations to him. Mm -hmm. And he would put out a a bulletin and... uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the magazine that was active back then. I want to say the Strolling Astronomer, but no, not quite that that old. That's ours. So yeah, that's that, that, that's ours. But uh, there was a magazine that that uh, you know it's kind of similar to Sky and Telescope now, but uh, much 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 less thick. And uh, but that that was the whole reason, just to, you know, to get people to send in their observations and to compare. And, and to see what other people are seeing. Uh, because one person, one observer just, just can't get a true feeling of, of meteor showers. So, and as time went on, the American Meteor Society, uh, they uh, assigned areas of, of, of the U.S. to, uh, so, so people could coordinate so that he wouldn't have to do all, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the work. So they had Northwest Washington as a coordinator and another one in California and, and just certain areas of the country. And that would, that went on for, for quite a while. And, uh, Olivia finally retired in the, uh, mid 60s hand over the reins to uh, dr david mizell who was a good friend of our uh, alpo finder no walter walter and in fact they uh, they were also assigned at several uh, observatories and were observing uh, the planets uh during the 50s and 60s together so and besides uh David was David Mizell was the first comet coordinator for the ALPO. Yes. Okay. So he 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 took over uh, and ha- has run the section ever since. So uh, there's only been two coordinators in the 100, 110 years uh, of the American Meteor Society. So um, and to be honest, uh, we. We put, you know, put out a lot of information on meteors, but what I think interests folks the most is uh, our fireball reports. Uh, back in 2005, we put online a form that people could fill out mm-hmm. and submit uh, things that they saw in the sky that were, uh, were they thought were fireballs. And if they weren't, I'd write back and say, hey, you got to aircraft contrail here or something like that but it was something that people could say you know what about three years ago during the gym and it's i saw a, a fireball and i wonder everybody else thought well they could go back wow. and and look and see if anybody else saw that and nowadays we've got quite sophisticated we are our program can actually figure out the trajectory if we get enough reports 
and it it's it's now spans all the way back to 2005. So we have a good 17 years worth worth of data in there, and there's videos and there's pictures of a lot of them, you know, that the general public shares with us. Huh. So we got quite a quite a, a library of, of fireball reports now. Wow, how large is so, the organization? The organization itself is is probably smaller than the ALPO, um, only only two hundred probably, uh, okay. you know, constant uh, observers. But uh, but they're active. Well, <laughs> yeah, once or twice a year. Sometimes. A, th- a third of them are active. Okay, <laughs> like most organizations. Okay, there, there you go. There you go. A lot of lurkers. But, but uh, yeah, but there's a lot of people that have, have registered, you know, as long as it doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they receive uh, updates to everything automatically. So uh, there's a lot of interest out there. But, uh, you know, as a dues paying society, uh, we're nothing to brag about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting. I've always wanted to ask you about that. Ah. My pleasure. Okay. You have anything else you want to add before we close this one? Uh, not now. I think we've covered everything and uh, let's, uh, let's hope for a clear fall season and lots of meteors. Sounds like a plan. All right, Bob, thanks for coming on the podcast today. My, my pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I again want to thank Bob Lunsford coming on the podcast and talking about some meteor showers. Get out there. Observe some meteors. These sound like some incredible meteor showers. We upload new episodes of the podcast on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. It really means a lot to me, and it brings more people to the channel. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, on Echo, Spotify, and we also have our own YouTube channel, and the podcasts are also available there. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. If you give up to $35 a month, you receive one year's membership in the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support to the podcast. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, I hope that you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>